Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Good to be back with you. I think we had a week off uh, last week. Just to briefly recap, won't go through the whole spiel, but we're starting our transition into reviewing more formal uh, religions, world religions. Last time we did a faux religion, kind of a semi-religious perspective of moralistic therapeutic deism. Today will be um, religious pluralism, which is kind of another halfway house in between um, secular, purely secular beliefs and more formalized <coughs> religion. So that'll be the plan today. And then starting next time, we will be looking at Mormonism and then go from there into some other um, formal religions that you all um, voted on. And I recently learned that we're going to have a bonus 13th week for this ADE um, session. So I've got to figure out what that's going to be. I don't know if it'll be the next one on the list or not, but um, looking forward to that. Um, so for today, let's pray, and then we'll get into religious pluralism. Oh God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to come and learn about some of the, the false beliefs that are out there. Father, hopefully to help us become more firm in our own beliefs, especially that Jesus Christ truly is the way, the truth, and the life, and that all contrary beliefs uh, will not lead to salvation, but are things to be repented of. Pray for this time that it bring glory to you and be edifying for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll just jump right into it today, looking at religious pluralism, which if you don't know what that is, that's okay. We'll talk through it. Um, but first, let's boil it down to a basic idea like we've done with some of these other religions. And kind of the key theme of a religious pluralist would be really that the different world religions are really just different perspectives of the same ultimate reality. So a religious pluralist would think that different world religions like Christianity, Islam, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, are all just different perspectives of the same big picture. Um, in other words, the idea is that at the heart of all these religions, they're really all saying the same thing. They're referring to the same ultimate reality, just in different ways. And a pluralist would want to say all equally valid different ways. Uh, none of them is more correct than the other. They're just giving their own unique perspective of the ultimate reality. Or another way that you could say it from a religious pluralist perspective would be that all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't necessarily matter what route you take, all of the religions at their heart are leading you to the same place. That's kind of uh, the idea that the religious pluralist would hold. Uh, to give an illustration that uh, advocates of religious pluralism often use, uh, you may have heard of it, it's, it's an analogy of the blind man and the elephant you're familiar with that, here's kind of how that idea goes. You imagine that you have an elephant here and you have a, a group of blind men, or in this case blindfolded men, and they're all using their sense of touch to feel different parts of the elephant, each of them only encountering a small bit of it, so they each come up with their own interpretation of what it is that they're touching based on their unique perspective of it. So you've got a guy here feeling the tusk, he says, oh, this is a spear or you've got a guy feeling uh, the trunk. He thinks he's touching a snake. The guy up top is messing with the elephant ears, thinking it's a big fan. Uh, the lady at the bottom feeling the giant leg, thinking this must be a tree trunk, it's the trunk of a tree. Guy in the middle is feeling the giant body of the elephant, thinking he's feeling a wall. And then the guy at the end, who's playing a risky game back there, uh, <laughs> touching the tail, thinks that he's touching a rope. So each of the blind men here is feeling a part of the elephant and developing his own perspective about what this ultimate reality really is based on his personal experience. But none of the guys in the picture know the full picture. None of them realize that they're actually experiencing an elephant. They're just feeling this one particular aspect of a greater uh, reality. And the whole idea behind this analogy, which I'm sure you can tell, is that the religious pluralist would say that all of the major world religions uh, is like the experience of one of these blindfolded men. No one religion has a monopoly on what is true. No one religion can see the whole elephant. Um, we're going to come back to this a little bit later when, we're, when we critique this worldview. It's a, it's a pretty flawed analogy. It's kind of creative, but it's very flawed, as all analogies are. It's also a pretty uh, arrogant analogy, but we'll get to that when we get there. But this is the idea of the religious pluralist. Each religion, each world religion is just seeing part of the picture, we're all ultimately getting to the same place. Uh, before we get into the details, I want to think about some of the kinds of people that would hold on to this worldview. 
It's not just a, an intellectual exercise we're doing. Lots of people hold this perspective. Similar to oh, when we talked about moralistic therapeutic deism, I mentioned that there isn't an official religion. You don't wear a badge that says I'm a member of the moralistic therapeutic deist shirt because be, there's no room on the shirt to even say that. Um, that was a joke, landed really well. Um, but, but for this one, there actually are some explicit religious positions that are explicitly religious pluralists. So there, there is a church that isn't called the Church of Religious Pluralism, but there are self-conscious churches that hold this position explicitly. Uh, one of the largest groups in North America that would hold this position would be uh, Unitarian Universalists, if you've heard of that. Uh, this religion embraces religious diversity, they're explicitly pluralistic uh, with their view of religion, and you may not know this, but we actually have a Unitarian Universalist church just right down the, right down the road in Peoria on uh, Richwoods Boulevard. I took uh, the opportunity to navigate through their website, which was a, quite an experience, but you can read about their beliefs on the website, and this section right here kind of starts to spell out the kind of thing we're talking about. I know you can't read it, so I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, we believe that the teachings of many different religious traditions have value and can help guide us in our search for meaning. And then a little further down, it says the folks in our congregation hold a wide variety of religious beliefs, theist, atheist, humanist, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, pagan, and others. So really you can believe just about anything you want and go to this church and they're not going to turn you away or try to convert you to another perspective. Um, it may or may not surprise you uh, that about three in every thousand Americans, so like a third of a percent of Americans, officially identify as Unitarian Universalists. There's another very large pluralist group, uh, and this one would be the largest globally that you may have heard of, and that is the Baha'i religion, or it might be pronounced Baha'i, I'm not sure. You may have heard about that. I first heard of it because Rain Wilson, the actor who played Dwight Schrute on The Office, uh, subscribes to the Baha'i faith. Not Dwight Schrute, but the real person. Um, that's what brought, brought it to, to my attention. And this is a Facebook page, that temple in the picture, that's actually up in Wilmette, Illinois. It's one of the oldest Baha'i temples, or Baha'i temples uh, in the world. It's quite a, quite a big thing. And this is a Facebook page for people in Peoria that share this perspective to, to talk with one another. Uh, it's estimated that between five and eight million people subscribe to the Baha'i faith worldwide today. And, um, as you can see, we have a Facebook page, so like with Unitarians, we apparently have a contingent of people in our area that hold to um, this faith. And you can actually see, the quote's not that important, but at the bottom of the image here, they, they have all of the different symbols for the different religions, basically saying all of these, you're all welcome here. We're not gonna uh, try to convert you from one to the other. It's all the same. It looks very much like the coexist bumper sticker, but as a church organization, they hold that position. So there, are, so there are some more sophisticated and self-aware forms of pluralism uh, like this, that's definitely true, but there's also quite a large contingent of the more naive pop culture pluralism out there, and we hear things like this all the time. You'll hear people say, well, all religions are basically teaching the same thing, or they'll have the point of view of, you know, I think all religions have some value to it, or I agree with positions from a lot of different religions, or all religions uh, basically will get you to heaven. Doesn't really matter which one. They're all leading you to the same place. Now, I don't, don't want to shock you. Well, maybe I do, but a shocking number of professing Christians hold this position uh, that I just mentioned there. And this is from a, a Pew Research poll done in 2021. Uh, and firstly, this should make us mourn for the state of the Christian church uh, in America, but also should make you alert to people in your life or people that you might hear who hold this kind of position that need to be, if they're in the church, they need to be rebuked uh, of it and corrected. And if they're outside the church, they still need evangelized. Um, but, uh, but a lot of Christians hold this kind of view. So combine, I'll, we'll be generous and combine the, top, combine the top two sections there that basically Christians would say, not just my particular denomination, but any Christian denomination will get you into heaven. On the whole, only 44% of Christians hold that position. That, basically saying that only Christianity will get you to heaven. Um, that's not a very big number. <laughs> it's not a very big number. Now, where we would fall in here would be within the Protestant subcategory of evangelicals. So combining those first two gets you to about 70%, which is a lot higher than 44%, but it's still pretty terrible. 
that only 70% of professing evangelicals think that Christianity is the only way to God through Jesus Christ. So then we basically have the, the rest, the other 43% other than the 8% of professing Christians that don't even think there's a heaven, which is weird. But 43% think that some non-Christian religions can also lead to eternal life in heaven. So while these people would claim Christ as Savior, they would say that they are Christians. What they really are are religious pluralists. Um, and that's why we're talking about it today. This isn't a hypothetical problem. It's a problem even within our churches. I pray not Newcastle, but churches have folks that hold this position. So this is concerning. Uh, it's a concerning view held by deceived churches and deceived individuals, um, deceived Christians, and it's more of an indirect form of pluralism, you might say, to go along with the more obvious and formal ones. So those people are out there. Um, there's also forms of pluralism that are more sophisticated and formulated done in the academies. Uh, there's a theo theologian, in air quotes, like uh, John Hick. He was a philosopher and professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, among other places. He laid out a very systematic form of pluralism in a book that gained a lot of plur uh, popularity a few decades ago, I think, called An Interpretation of Religion. That kind of made religious pluralism an acceptable position to hold uh, intellectually. So you could still have religious beliefs, but be an intellectual and kind of look at it that way. So what we'll talk about today will kind of be bits and pieces uh, of all of those. For the random guy on the street who might claim Christ, but say that he thinks Buddhism is also a valid religion that would get you to heaven, that's not a position that's very easy to pin down and talk through. So on the whole, we'll be looking at bits of Hick's point of view um, but not getting into the, to the details because I can't and you would be bored by it. But hopefully we'll cover enough to equip you to be able to encounter what you're likely to see on the street if you come across somebody in the wild. So that would be the plan for today. Why would anybody want to be a pluralist, you might be asking. Why would anybody hold this worldview? Um, I think there are a few motivations for why uh, someone might hold this. First would be a, a dissatisfaction with naturalism. So if we remember naturalism from weeks and weeks back, that's basically the position saying that nature is all that there is. Everything ultimately reduces to physics and chemistry. Uh, the pluralists will say, I don't think so. I don't think that's right. Uh, I think there is a spiritual side to us. So a religious pluralist would say, there is more to us than just physics and chemistry. There's a spiritual side, there's a genuinely religious aspect to human beings, and those religious experiences need to be taken seriously. Um, if we look at the world as a whole, most people hold to some kind of religion. Most people are having these religious experiences, and the pluralist would say naturalism can't do justice to that fact. We need to take those religious experiences of people seriously. So that's one motivation, not satisfied with naturalism. Uh, a second would be a real appreciation for the religious diversity that we have in the world. Uh, we live in an age where we can, we can rub up against people of different religions in a way that really wasn't so possible in centuries before, especially with things like the internet. We can get to know and get to know quite well and interact with people from the other side of the world uh, at the speed of a click. And they might have a very different religious background than we do, and we can start to appreciate that more, which is a, a blessing, and in this case can also be a curse. Um, but this recognizes that there are sincere believers all across the world with these different major religions, and they want to try to deal with that. They want to try to account for that and find a favorable interpretation of how it can be that these true, sincere believers can exist with such different religious perspectives. Uh, they would contend that, like with the elephant, no one religion could have a monopoly on the truth, given the fact that all these people believe such different things so sincerely. It's illogical for the pluralist to think that just one of those religions could be right and the others all completely wrong. So they want to try to find a way of accommodating all of them. A third motivation would be a, a genuine concern, which in some ways is an admirable concern, about religious conflict that exists in the world and a, sometimes a lack of religions, religious tolerance. We know from history, we even know from now in some countries that um, people will come into conflict, into war, lives will be lost because religion A and religion B disagree about something, whether that's Christians and Muslims, Muslims versus Hindus, Christians versus Hindus, whatever it might be, setting aside all of the conflict brought by outspoken atheism. But there is a lot of religious conflict 
in the world. And the hope of the pluralist would be that if we can come together with a pluralist interpretation, then we can promote mutual tolerance and mutual respect between the religions and get away from such, uh, such bloodshed. Um, John Hick that I mentioned before, uh, he spent a lot of time in uh, Birmingham uh, in England really trying to promote what he called interfaith dialogue. Birmingham is full of, you have uh, Christians, you have Muslims, you have Hindus, you have Sikhs all across the board there. And there was conflict within those subgroups. And he applied himself for many years trying to promote this tolerance between the groups and a respect and a dialogue between those positions, which is admirable again. But his method of doing that was through religious pluralism to get everyone to say, you know, we all basically believe the same thing. So maybe a noble endeavor to try to, to get rid of such conflict, but uh, not a path that we would recommend. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background. Now we're going to take religious pluralism through our T-A-K-E-S worldview critique or worldview categorization model to see what a religious pluralist might have to say about theology, anthropology, knowledge, ethics, and salvation. So we'll start as always with theology. And these are all gonna be a little bit interesting. I mean, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it clear, but what would, the, what would the religious pluralists have to say about God or ultimate reality? Well, they would say that there is a God, kind of. Uh, there'd be a lot of qualifications and asterisks here. Uh, a pluralist wouldn't say that there's a God the way that we say there's a God, the way that we traditionally believe in a God, or even the way that uh, Muslims traditionally believe in uh, Allah. God, in this view, isn't to be understood really exactly how any particular religion would teach it. So it's not, a, it's not a, in a literal sense. For, for the pluralist, God is to more be understood as the ultimate transcendent reality. So it could be a being or a thing or an idea that goes way beyond and outside of all of our experiences. So whatever that ultimate reality is, that's what God is in this system. And, and everything else that exists ultimately depends on this God for its being. So it's kind of a you know, philosophical conception of God. It's not a personal, literal God. And a practicing pluralist, like a strict pluralist, like a John Hick, would probably even avoid using the word God because it kind of starts to bias towards particular, basically particularly Western religions where we are mostly monotheists. Um, a strict pluralist would want to use terms like I have up there, like the real or the ultimate. It's not so prejudiced towards one model because, of course, Hindus have uh, a myriad of, of gods, so just saying God would kind of be biased against them. For the sake of simplicity, I'm going to be using God most of the time, uh, but I'll put it in quotes so you remember that we're not talking about God the same way that we normally talk about God. They interpret it very differently. Uh, what else would they would say? They would say that this God or this real would be the source of all religious experience across the board. So people are having religious experiences and lots of different um, uh, situations, and if anyone is having a religious experience, what they're experiencing is this transcendent, ultimate, real divinity, whatever it looks like, ultimately caused by God. It just happens to look different for different people. Um, that's what a pluralist would want to say about that. But then how, how do we think about or how do we describe God? It starts to get very tricky. It starts to get very tricky there. Um, pluralists, pluralists would say that God transcends all of our human concepts. So God as he or it really is can't actually be described in human categories or human terms like we would use for other things. So no descriptions, no human descriptions can apply literally or apply directly to God in this view. Uh, anything that we say about God or the real or the ultimate is really metaphorical or figurative or analogical at some level. They would say any description of this God or real are just approximations based on our unique perspectives. So if we were pressing a pluralist on it, they would probably have to say um, that there really is no literal, personal creator God, as like the Bible teaches, because that would start to kind of favor a Christian view of God. So they wouldn't want to do that. But they will often use uh, some other descriptions that they, they are okay using. They do use some descriptions. The primary description that you'll find from a pluralist, whether it be a formal pluralist like Baha'i or Unitarian Universalism or the guy on the street, they'll really want to emphasize that God is love. They know that for sure. If any description would take precedent over another, it would be that God is uh, love. Um, that's gonna become really important when we get to their, their view of salvation 
once we get there. But keep that in mind. The, the one description of God that towers over the rest and that is acceptable is that God is love. Okay, let's go to anthropology. So what do pluralists usually view about human beings and human nature and our, our space in the world? Uh, here, again, it's pretty uh, vague. There can be a wide range of views, as you can imagine. But some common themes would be um, that we aren't made in the image of God literally. Okay, um, Like Christianity teaches that we uh, are made in the image of God. Um, and the reason they wouldn't be able to say that goes back to their definition or lack of definition of God. God isn't a personal creator in that view. Um, so any traditional creation account like a Christian, a Muslim, or a Jew would have, or even a, a Mormon would have, these are all meant to be taken uh, mythologically and not in any uh, literal sense because if we were to take any one of those in a literal sense, it would start to pref pre prefer those over other creation stories because they're all so vastly different, especially when you get to the Eastern uh, religions. You can't really say that we are made in the likeness of God if there are a million gods that are all very different. So if you take any one of those literally, it would contradict the other, meaning that one would be right and one would be wrong, which is off limits for the pluralists. So all creation accounts are mythological or metaphorical. So that being the case, where would they say that we do come from? Well, most of them would probably say that we're the products of evolution. Your standard, long-term evolutionary, Darwinian evolutionary processes over millions of years. I think very rarely would you find a pluralist that would argue uh, against that. Uh, part of the reason for that is the evolutionary account kind of avoids any hint of special creation or personal interaction, divine intervention from a, from a creator and would be acceptable uh, across all religions. Now, some pluralists might say that evolution could have been guided by God uh, in an undetectable way, of course, um, but that's an acceptable open position for pluralists we generally see, but we, of course, can't be sure or dogmatic about something like that because there's no way to confirm uh, God's intervention in this world. They, they have no way of getting answers to these things, which we'll get to in the knowledge section. But then, if we aren't specially created, what is special about us? Are we unique in any way? Well, they would say that we are unique in that we have the capacity to have religious experiences, unlike the lower animals. Cats and dogs, as far as we know, don't have religious experiences, but humans be human beings do. And we are able to reflect on those and reflect on the divine in a unique way that the other animals are not uh, able to. We can think about these transcendent, transcendent things where Rover uh, cannot. So that's what makes us um, special. That's really the uniqueness of mankind is that we can at least think about religious things and um, religious concepts. Okay, let's go to knowledge, the K. What do they think about knowledge, about what we can know and how we know it? And I mostly want to think about how we can or cannot know things about God or the real or the ultimate, whatever we're going to call it. For the pluralist, we can encounter God through our gen generically defined religious experiences. That's how we can come to know God. But those experiences don't give us any direct knowledge of God. They don't really give us any information about God, of how he really truly is. They would say that no one ever perceives him directly or in any unmediated or uninterpreted way. Because again, if we did that, pluralism would kind of start to be dead in the water because it would, be it would be possible to then confirm that some religions have this right and some have it wrong, which again is, would kill the whole system. So that doesn't work. So the pluralists would want to say that um, religious experiences are always going to be subject to interpretation. And no person having one of these religious experiences is seeing the whole picture. It's just part of the whole, like with the elephant analogy. So a pluralist would, would have to say that nobody can actually know or describe God in literal terms, and that the teachings of different religions, what different religions are teaching about God, all of them need to be taken metaphorically or figuratively or pictorially or whatever. Nobody's actually seeing the elephant as an elephant, right? Um, they're seeing it as a rope, not knowing that it's part of the elephant, or they're seeing uh, the trunk, thinking it's a, it's a snake, and that's true for them. That's their experience. Um, none of the people having these experiences are really describing the whole reality, as I said. It's just reflecting their personal interpretation of what it is that they are experiencing. So the way to 
know God is very uh, indirect and very unverifiable and really no way to say whether it's uh, right or wrong. It's not, it's not as though one person's interpretation of their experience is right and another's is wrong. They're both uh, equally valid. It's just different ways of conceptualizing what it is that they are experiencing. And a pluralist would want to say any of the categories that we try to use are inadequate because God transcends all categories. Um, similar to postmodernism and how truth was uh, relative to either an individual or to a community, religious pluralism would have the same kind of idea that all of these truths are relative just to that religious um, community. There's never going to be an absolute form of truth that would apply to all of the different religious perspectives in this paradigm. Um, for example, when a Christian says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's true relative to Christianity. That's a true description uh, within the context of Christianity and our conceptualization of what the universe is like. So it's not literally true to where it'd be true for everybody everywhere without regard to how anybody interprets it. Uh, it's, I think I mentioned this last time we met, it's pragmatically true in that it's true enough that it helps us live fulfilled lives and be moral people and become better overall. So it's true enough to work for us to achieve those goals. Uh, and then finally, in terms of knowledge of God, um, contrasting this worldview with some of the ones we'll look at later, is they would not say that there's any literal verbal revelation from God or from the ultimate or from the real uh, to human beings, like we have with the Bible or Muslims claim with the Quran or Mormons with the Book of Mormon or whatever. Pluralists wouldn't be able to say that God literally speaks to us in any way through any kind of means because again that would start to bias towards a certain um, perception of God which is uh, no good. So God can't communicate to human beings uh, for real in this perspective. In terms of ethics, what does a pluralist think about ethics? Now I'll have to generalize here but I think it's typically true that the one core principle for a religious pluralist is going to be very similar to what we saw with moralistic therapeutic deism and really, it's that the core ethical principle is the golden rule. Uh, be nice to people, but uh, more, more specifically, treat others as you would have them treat you. Basically, the golden rule that we hear from, from Jesus, right? Um, but that would be kind of the absolute. If there's going to be an absolute, that would be the absolute in this um, perspective. And their argument for that, why they would say that, is they would suggest that all of the major religions are really at their core teaching this principle. Um, there are differences in the details, but the ethical codes of all major religions at the heart would say, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And they like to point out different places in the different religions where that would be said. So they would say that um, at the heart of every religion is this reciprocity principle, they call it, to, you know, if I'm good to you, you be good to me, we'll all get along. And what this uh, comes to show is when, we, when the religious pluralist is looking at religions, they're not really looking at the beliefs so much of their religion, but they're concerned with the practices of that uh, religion. So for the pluralist, and like with that Unitarian Universalist church, it doesn't really matter what you believe. All they care about is what you do. It doesn't matter how you conceive God, as long as you do things in this particular way, following the golden rule, whatever you believe and how you got to that point is not super relevant. And that's why a church like the Unitarian Universalist can have literally anyone join the group because the doctrines are irrelevant. All that matters is that you share this core ethical principle. They would suggest that um, each particular religion is just a different way of expressing um, this kind of conviction. Uh, any of the particulars of the religion for how they come to the conclusions they do, that's going to be culturally relative. So anything unique to a religion would, uh, if anything only exists in one religion, that means that it's just a culturally relative belief and would not apply to everybody. So for example, uh, Mormons abstain from caffeine as like an ethical principle, but that in this position would be just their response to the divine. Uh, that's not gonna be something that's binding on all people everywhere because it goes too far outside of the golden rule principle. And I am thankful that that rule doesn't apply uh, everywhere. But also for Christians, we have some pretty unique um, moral ethical principles as well. We abstain from fornication, so sexual relations outside of marriage, as a moral ethical principle, 
which we believe is binding on all people everywhere in terms of their accountability to God. But for the pluralist, that would also have to be reduced to just a relative, culturally relative rule, because again, it goes too far outside of the simple golden rule principle. Uh, it's not gonna be a universal understanding of a moral code of the real or the ultimate. They would suggest that each religion, you know, they have their own cultures, neither right nor wrong. They have their own expression of religion, but nothing, um, nothing outside of the boundary of the golden rule is gonna be uh, binding to all people everywhere. It may seem obvious, but another critical ethical principle for them is that religious tolerance is a very good thing. That's probably the most important application of the golden rule, being tolerant and accepting of other people's religions because they are just, of course, different ways of responding to the same divine. That's a paramount principle. On the other end, religious exclusivism would be a very, 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 very bad thing uh, in this perspective because, of course, it undermines religious tolerance. Uh, exclusive religion uh, promotes division rather, and conflict rather than unity and tolerance. And so the, the one thing that a pluralist would not stand for is a uh, religious fundamentalist, whether that be Christians, Christian fundamentalism, which is us, by, by the way. If we say that Christianity is the right and the only one right true religion, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, or even that a Muslim would say that uh, only Islam is the way to God, no perspectives like that would be acceptable in, uh, in a religious pluralist uh, environment. Okay, finally to salvation. What would a pluralist say is our biggest problem and what is the solution for it? Uh, John Hick formally gave an answer for this. Uh, he, said, he was that theologian that I mentioned before. He said that our basic problem is self-centeredness. He considered that the core sin, uh, according to him which, you know, going back to ethics basically means not living according to the golden rule is the biggest problem that we have in the world today. We put ourselves before we put uh, others. That's the biggest problem. So if being self-centered is the problem, the solution is becoming God or reality or ultimate-centered, which when you say becoming God-centered, that sounds pretty good, but we have to remember their perspective on God. So becoming reality-centered uh, or ultimate-centered is the solution. And the idea is that we, we can become more ultimate-centered. Uh, we can develop this moral maturity through religious practices, through practicing some kind of religion. Again, it doesn't matter which one. Uh, as long as that religion ultimately centers on the ethical principle of the golden rule, that's good. That's good for us. So feel free, they would say, to practice any of those particular religions, of course, as long as you understand those religions in a pluralist mindset. Um, not going into any exclusivist type of uh, thinking. But if you want to pursue a religion that works for you and makes you more other-centeredness, that's fine. Um, they, that's what they see as the path to salvation. And so with that, they would say that there are many paths to salvation in terms of the particular religion you want to go with. You want to go with the one that works best for you. And that can be Christianity. It can be Buddhism. It can be whatever. If it works best for you, to be a Christian because you were born in a Christian area and that makes you a better person according to the golden rule, fine, uh, do that. Again, as long as you understand that in a more moderate, toned down, uh, pluralistic type of a way, that would be the ideal solution for everybody. No need to convert people as long as we're all looking for the same goal. Regarding who will be saved if you're a pluralist, pretty much everyone. A pluralist would want to think that pretty much everyone will be saved more than likely. Uh, you can qualify it a little bit, but pluralists are almost always universalists, meaning that salvation uh, will ultimately be given to everyone. Uh, they tend to be more what's called hopeful universalists than more dogmatic universalists who are absolutely certain about that. There's not a lot of absolute certainty in pluralism, so they're not absolutely certain, but they're hopeful that everyone will get to heaven. And this goes back to that key description of God I mentioned before, because if God is love, if the primary description of God is love, however they define that, then surely a loving God would want to save everyone in the end. So since God is love, he will surely save everyone. He will at least give them a very, very, very good chance to be saved. Uh, and many would even believe that if you did not live a good life temporally, that you would have a second chance in a, like a pre-afterlife purgatory type situation. Uh, if you don't have the opportunity to, to come here, you might have another chance after physical death to be saved. So nearly everybody 
will be saved in this perspective. They do believe in a heaven of sorts, generally. They tend to believe that heaven exists. We don't really have any idea what that would look like. Um, we can't literally describe heaven like we can't literally describe uh, God. But it's going to be some kind of transcendent, sublime experience of the divine. So there is a heaven, something worth attaining, but there's almost certainly not a hell in this perspective. The, the worst case scenario generally for someone who holds to pluralism would be uh, the idea of annihilationism, if you've heard of that. Uh, that's a belief that people that don't get into heaven, so in this case, the really, 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 really bad people, when they die, they would just cease to exist. Uh, there would be no idea of like an eternal punishment uh, like the crazy religious fundamentalists believe in. Uh, they would want to avoid that. So it's an overall a very, very optimistic view that nearly everybody will be saved in the end. Those not saved will not suffer. They will just cease to exist. Um, and I found uh, on that Unitarian Universalist website from the church in Peoria, uh, they had a comment on their history that said, uh, Universalism was founded on the premise that a loving God would not condemn a person to eternal punishment for earthly errors. So again, God and love, how they've defined it, would not do that, regardless of what any of the, the scriptures about it actually say. But that's the perspective. <clears throat> Okay, laid out the worldview, at least in general here. Hopefully you have some idea where people that hold this perspective are coming from, what they're trying to accomplish. There is a good deal of crossover with moralistic therapeutic deism we talked about last time, and also a crossover with postmodernism. Uh, in a way, religious pluralism is kind of postmodern thought applied to uh, religious beliefs. I tried to, uh, I'm doing pretty good on time, which is good today because I'm not sure how good on time I'll do next time, so enjoy it while you can. But we'll move on to evaluating this idea now. And if there's questions, we should have plenty of time um, in the end. So let's evaluate religious pluralism. Again, these are some of the tools that we've talked about before. I'm just gonna pick a couple. Just to quickly review, we have like the, theo the theoretical head tools on this side of analyzing the worldview um, based on its logic or lack thereof. But then on the right, we also have the, the more practical heart tools, we call them about you know, can people actually uh, live with this perspective? Does it provide hope? Does it lead to fulfillment? And so on. So I wanna do one of each this time. And I'm gonna start with uh, the tool of consistency and then we'll go to hope. So I first wanna ask if um, religious pluralism is a consistent worldview or if it has some problems there. And I think there are two big consistency problems that are kind of related. So I will spend a little bit of time on this one. But one of the problems faced by pluralism is its inconsistency about whether or not we actually can say anything about God. Can we actually speak intelligibly about this real or ultimate or God? So I want to ask the question uh, this way. Can we say anything positive about God or the real, you know, whatever label you want to, you want to use? Can we say anything like direct, actually knowing something about this ultimate reality? Pluralism likes to discuss all of the things that we can't or don't know about God, but what about something positive? What can we know? And pluralism tends to give very inconsistent answers to this question. On the one hand, they'll want to say no, right? As we've seen, there's no, we can't know for certain a lot of these things about God because they will get claim that God is utterly transcendent. He transcends all human concepts and uh, descriptions we can't really know any of the true details about him. None of our human terms or concepts apply literally. They're all figurative. Uh, all of our description of gods are in metaphor form or some kind of analogy. And pluralism, supposedly, is how you reconcile the different descriptions that we see between the different religions, like Christianity versus Buddhism or whatever. So you won't say that any of those particular religions is speaking positively, like directly about God. They're all metaphorical, that's a very important to the pluralist. So under this outlook, we can't. We cannot make any positive statements, non-metaphorical statements about God. But if we think about that for a second, the pluralist at the same time is secretly saying, yes, we actually can say positive things about God. In saying that God is utterly transcendent and can't be described as he truly is, they are describing this God how he truly is, right? That he, if he's ultimately literally transcendent, is that a metaphor also? Or is he actually utterly transcendent? It's, a, it's actually a self-defeating claim to try to say that God is indescribable because in saying such a thing, you're giving us an attribute of uh, this God. So somehow we know something. 
but how do we, how do we know that? It's inconsistent. Um, they also say that all religious experience, uh, God is the source of all of those religious experiences. How could you know that unless you have some kind of direct access or direct special knowledge of this ultimate reality? How could you know that God is love and what that means and that God wants all people to be saved? Is that a metaphor or does he literally feel that way uh, about it? How do we know that? So that's the first point of inconsistency. A pluralist is kind of torn in two here, on the one hand wanting to insist that God transcends all of these categories, all of our concepts, all of our ways of thinking, and then on the other hand, uh, they want to categorize this God by telling us some really informative and really important critical information about this God that we all need to accept and believe. So that's a, a clear point of inconsistency. But there's another inconsistency problem that I think is more serious, so I'll spend a little more time on it. And there's pictures, so hopefully I don't uh, lose you with it. Um, but I want to, to maybe say the question this way. Does pluralism offer a privileged view of God? Do they have a, a special privileged view that no other religions uh, have? Does pluralism have an extra insight that we uh, don't have? And the problem here, again, is that the pluralist is kind of pulled in both ways on how they're supposed to answer this question, right? Because, again, on the one hand, they want to say no. Um, they would say that pluralists, uh, pluralists would say that all religious views are particular perspectives on this God, that there's no religious perspective amongst all of the choices that have a, the, the more correct view than somebody else. No religion has it exactly right. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, whatever. None of them have a more accurate than the other uh, perspective on God. But hopefully it's not escaping our notice that pluralism is a religious view. Uh, they're not neutral onlookers in this conversation. Pluralism, too, holds a perspective on God. They're offering their particular understanding of what this God is, li is like. So does that mean, then, that they, too, are just one perspective among others? I don't think so. Uh, it seems that uh, pluralism, by its own rules, can't offer a special view of God, so they would have to just be one view amongst the others, but I don't think that... Uh, they think that. So per the view, they want to say no, that, that pluralism doesn't have any special view, it's just one choice among, amongst the rest. But they also really want to say yes to that. Um, by the way that they describe their view, the analogies that they use, they seem to imply, if not outright state, that, well, yes, actually, we do have the inside track on God. We, the pluralists, do know what's going on. We understand what you don't about the particular religions. We know what they're missing about the whole big picture. The pluralists do think that they're the ones that have this all figured out. They can understand the different religious experiences around the world and how God is relating differently to these different people. So they know the truth. They know what actually lies behind all these world religions. They've, they've figured out um, that each one is only experiencing a small piece of it, and uh, pluralism has the better view. But again, if we think about that for a minute, that means that they're saying that pluralism isn't just one perspective among others, at least not how they see it. Uh, they're implying that the pluralist view is the right view, that pluralism is the correct perspective, and all the other perspectives then by definition would have to be incorrect, which goes against the whole pluralist um, system. They think that they have it right. So hopefully you can see that there's a, a hard inconsistently, inconsistent, inconsistency embedded deep into the whole uh, system. So I want to I try to make that even more clear by going back to the elephant analogy, which again is a clever, it's a clever picture, um, but they like to use this one. Remember, we have the blindfolded people. They're all seeing and feel, or they're all feeling different parts of the elephant coming up with their own interpretation of what it is they're experiencing. And by the picture, none of them realizing that they're all touching an elephant. None of them realizing that they're all feeling different aspects of one reality. But what does this image imply about someone who holds to religious pluralism. Anybody? Yeah, exactly, right? The pluralist actually has his eyes open here. He can see the whole thing. He knows what the other religions don't. Uh, the pluralist is the one who can tell that everybody is actually touching an elephant. Uh, he can tell us how the other blindfolded people are all missing the point, and he can actually see the whole people, or the whole picture. The pluralist sees the elephant for what it really is. He has apparently some special insight to what's really going on with all of the different religions of the world and the experiences of those believers. So 
you can see how the elephant analogy is implying that pluralists do have this special insight into the ultimate reality, um, while also claiming that no religion has special insight into the ultimate reality. So that's why I mentioned that this is kind of an arrogant uh, image. The pluralist is this wise onlooker off to the side, while the rest of us in our particular traditions are ignorant and blindfolded. Because if, if pluralism is true in stating that no religious perspectives have an accurate picture of what God or reality is really like, and pluralism is a religious perspective, why should anybody accept pluralism over any of those other perspectives? If it's just one option on the menu, what difference does it make? Who actually cares? Uh, why do I need to agree with the pluralist perspective? Um, that's not what a pluralist wants to hear. <laughs> the reality is that they want to make a much stronger claim about their viewpoint than their viewpoint actually allows them to make. Uh, they'll insist that pluralism isn't just one of the many options on the religious menu, but rather that pluralism is the only religion that gives the whole big picture where other particular religions like Christianity do not. So I guess the, the irony is that pluralism turns out to be just as exclusive and fundamental, <laughs> fundamentalist as all of the religions that pluralism critiques for being exclusive and fundamentalist. Hopefully I'm being clear on that and the, the picture uh, helps out because I think it's a very powerful uh, critique that you could share with somebody who holds this. I think it, I personally think it destroys the whole concept of the position. Um, when, when, when you ask any follow-up questions, it's going to be very difficult to account for why the pluralist perspective is right if no religious position is right. So hopefully that was, hopefully that was clear. Are there any questions or comments on that? Yeah. He's the pluralist, and yeah, he... Okay. How did he come to the fact that it's not... That's, that's exactly the point, right? That's the, the religious... Yeah, so the religious pluralist will say that no particular religious experience knows the whole picture. And while saying that, they know the whole picture. So that's why it's a contradictory, inconsistent position. Yeah. You, you asked a perfect question that I'd love to see a real pluralist <laughs> answer. <Yeah. laughs> Okay, well, let's go to the, the one more uh, critique uh, and, and go more on the heart side to see if pluralism can offer any genuine hope to people, like hope for the present and hope for their eternal destiny. Uh, similar to somebody that holds to moralistic therapeutic deism, pluralists will want to affirm some kind of heaven. As we saw before, they believe in some kind of afterlife. They have an eschatological hope that one day things will turn out perfectly, things will be all good for nearly everybody. But on the individual pluralist level, I would want to know how can I as an individual know that I will end up in heaven? Or talking to somebody, how do you know that you will end up in heaven? How can you have any assurance of that? Or really, how can you even have any confidence that there actually is a heaven at all? I know you're optimistic, but how can you know that? So in this one, I want to compare pluralism to Christianity on this point, starting looking at the pluralist worldview uh, on its own. Uh, they typically hold, as I said, to a form of universalism, this hope that nearly everybody, if not everybody, will ultimately be saved. But on the pluralist understanding, how can they really know that? How can they know that universalism is true? You can hope for it. It's a nice enough hope to have, but it's really not even a hope. It's more of a wish. They, they're wishing this to be the case. They really have no way of having a reliable, justifiable belief that universalism is true according to their own standards because they say you can't have any direct knowledge of God. How can we, we, if we can't know anything positive about God, we can't speak literally about them, about him or it, whatever, how can we know that he actually wants to save everybody? We can't know his desires if we can't describe him in any way. There's no way to know what God wants because that's hidden to us. Um, the different religious perspectives, and we'll talk about Christianity, have a clear statement, but there's no clear statement. There's no clear way to know in universalism. There's no way to know, or in um, pluralism, there's no way to know that this God actually wants people to be saved. So I think ultimately, if you believe that pluralism is an accurate assessment of reality, you would have to say that you're not sure. The only honest thing to do would be more uh, agnostic about it, saying that you're not entirely sure that there's a heaven, but you're hopeful. Um, because if we don't know what God is like, what he wants, what he's doing, any God that we know of is inaccurate, we're having to guess and be hopeful about what that God is like. 
And if we're hopeful about what that God is like, that means the best we can be is hopeful about what the afterlife is, if that depends on our view of God. So the, the pluralists might have hope. They have some hope that we're all saved. But I think according to their own understanding in this actual worldview, they would never actually know. They would never have any assurance that they will be saved or that there is an afterlife or that God actually is love. There's no way of being confident that that is the case. Contrast that to the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, the right worldview, you might say. Um, we're not universalists. We are particularists when it comes to salvation. We don't believe that everyone will be saved. That's what the particularism means here, that only some people will be saved and that there are clear uh, conditions for achieving that salvation, namely faith in Jesus Christ. And those conditions are only met by some of the people, not all people. There is still some kind of, it's not going to be heresy, let me finish the whole sentence. There is still some kind of universalism in Christianity in that there's a universal gospel offer to all people. So not all will be saved, but there is a universal gospel offer. Anyone, who, anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life, according to John 3.16. Or John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then verse 37 after that, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So we have this offer of salvation that isn't just wishful thinking. It isn't blind uh, faith. It can be known. Our God is knowable. In the Christian worldview, we can know what God desires because he has revealed that to us through his word. And I capitalize word there because we both have the scriptures, the word where he's revealed to us, and we have the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. You know, John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt uh, among us. That living word has revealed this way of salvation to us through his atoning death and resurrection. So the Christian worldview, though it's not, univer not universalistic, does offer genuine, reliable hope to people, a hope of heaven that actually can be known because it's based on a promise that can be trusted. To maybe... Um, use two titles of books by Francis Schaeffer. I'm a big Francis Schaeffer fan. But even just using some titles of his books to kind of point out the, the contrast in this perspective of religious pluralism, he has one book that's called The God Who Is There and another called He Is There and He Is Not Silent. That's our God that we're talking about. We have a personal, knowable, imminent God who lives, uh, lived and dwelt among us. We have a God who is there and who is not silent, and we can know with confidence and with joy that we have a path to eternal life. Uh, he's not left us in the dark. We aren't left guessing of what he wants for us or of what we are supposed to do or what we're supposed to believe. We have a foundation of hope that is something that religious pluralism um, can't offer for uh, anybody. Okay, I, I thought today was gonna be a shorter one and I finished a whopping like four minutes uh, early. Doesn't bode well for next time, but um, are there any uh, questions or thoughts today? Yeah? Um, I have a question regarding their view of sin. Um, you said the context of the basic problem is self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. And I heard you say on the website they talk about earthly errors. So if, if that is their idea of sin, who are we, are we just sinning against each other? Where's that standard? How do we know where that standard is? Do they know that they even need to be saved? What are they being saved from? Yeah, really good question. So similar to moralistic therapeutic deism, any of the ethical code is all horizontal. There's really nothing about an accountability to God. All they will somewhat positively say is that we ought to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. What does that mean? How do I know that taking his lunch isn't good, right? There's good questions there. And there's not really any ultimate accountability to a being because there's not a being to be defined. So it's a very, I mean, if you saw on their site, you can be a theist or an atheist there. At that point, why don't we just say that this is a social club? Uh, there, there's really not a good answer to that, to that question. The accountability is vague, and pretty much everything about it is vague, so it's hard to have any concrete answer to those kinds of things. Good question, though. These are all good questions you should find a religious pluralist and ask, if you, if you know one. Yeah? Yeah, good question. Um, I, yeah, I can repeat the question. She was asking what kind of uh, Bible or religious text do they do the Universalist Unitarians preach out of? Specifically, are you thinking of that church in Peoria? 
typically not one. Um, I went to their YouTube channel, uh, so hopefully YouTube doesn't start recommending me all of this <laughs> stuff. But, uh, but uh, they're very, very topical sermons. It's really, it's, do you know what a TED Talk is? Uh, it's basically somebody giving advice to people. They're not typically preaching from a book. Uh, I noticed that sometimes they sing hymns, which I thought was weird. Um, the, sing, the thing that they're singing, they apparently don't believe because most Christian hymns are pretty, uh, pretty tight in the, in the doctrine. Um, but it's typically very nebulous, this would be how we can coexist better type sermons. Um, often they are very pro-LGBTQ type things. So there's a lot of uh, sermons about tolerance, you know, the, the big all-encompassing word of tolerance now. So it's, it's not really, again, the, the religious things, the religiousness of it isn't about doctrine at all. It's really just all about action. So it's here's what you should do. It's all law, no gospel. Yeah, good. I was uh, introduced to the Baha'i faith a number of years ago, and it was through seeing a verse from their uh, religious text. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop and actually review it for a while because it sounded like scripture. Mm -hmm. um, so then I Googled it just to find out that no, it was written in like the 1850s by one of the founders of the Baha'i faith. And as I looked through some of the others, I it was very gentle. It was very gracious. It was very loving. And it just, I guess one thing that I would use as a word of caution for Christians uh, to take some more of medicine and see soft answer turns away wrath, but mm. a harsh word stirs up anger. They have a lot of soft words, so I can see why it's a very attractive uh, viewpoint. You know, if you're not going to actually look at what the views are, if you're not going right. to, if you if you're just sort of you know skin deep. Uh, and you don't care whether it's consistent or not, then it's a very, it's a very gentle position to have. Sure. We'll talk to you in the church office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Um, they, they are very, there's not a lot of talk of sin or uh, correction. It's very uh, loving in certain sense, senses. And they do have some, like the Baha'i faith that's more formal, has, has sayings like I had on that slide from the, from the person, which taken in a vacuum, like that's a reasonable thing to do in terms of advice about how to live horizontally um, with people. But uh, there's really nothing about the so what if I don't? And so what if I don't do that? There's really nothing to, to talk about there. So again, this will be similar to when we talk to some other religious perspectives. A lot of people that hold these positions will be very nice people. They'll make pretty good neighbors. Um, and we can't let that make us think that what they think is true or that their soul is okay. We want them to keep being good people, but the, the parts of them that aren't so good that they don't like to talk about needs to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it's, an, it's an easier entry into spiritual conversations with a religious pluralist than a hardcore atheist who thinks everything's ridiculous. Uh, the, the, one of the earlier slides I had where they typically reject pure naturalism, that's, a, that's an inroad for a conversation because, oh, I, I agree with you about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. And I think, I think most human beings, and this is you know, Psalm 14.1 and Romans type stuff, that God has made himself known we can see his, his handiwork around the world. Most, I don't want to say most, a lot of people who haven't been brought to a saving faith in Christ have not fully suppressed that knowledge. And they're trying to figure out a non-submissive, rebellious still way of accounting for those, um, those understandings of the world around us. So again, what a great opportunity, if you know one, to, to start that conversation. I think it'll, it'll be easier to have a conversation with them. They'll probably be more open to you praying with and for them than a raging atheist would be. That's a good point. Okay, I hear rumblings outside, so I'll pray. We'll be back next week talking about Mormonism. I'm even going to bring in, I bought off eBay, uh, a Mormon Bible that somebody had that has 
the Bible, Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants. We'll bring it in. And if it doesn't burst into flame when I walk through the door, <laughs> I'll, I'll show it to you. So uh, I'll close and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, you are so gracious in how you have revealed yourself to us, both in the world and through the word, both your written word and uh, the living word, Jesus Christ. Thank you for opening our eyes to these truths. Father, I pray that uh, we would not be blinded by false teachings elsewhere and that we would see people that are not in submission to you as people that need your grace. Um, we're thankful for their desire to be moral, but uh, we're not looking for uh, moral people. We're looking for redeemed people. Give us boldness to, to speak with them and to gently challenge them to, to come to saving faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.